Isn't it really something sweet to come in with um, women and one man and just encounter the presence of the Lord? So honored. So honored, yeah. I think he likes it. I think that's why he volunteers. But how many of y'all would like to maybe one day just have a day where all we do is just praise and prayer? Raise your hand. Okay, well, we're going to do that. Um, I sat there and I thought, wow, I kind of wish I didn't even prepare a lesson today because the Lord is here. And, you know, one reason, if you're new to this study, um, you know, you can go to a lot of Bible studies where there is great knowledge and the Word is taught. But, you know, one thing that is really special about this Bible study that was started, gosh, how many years ago? 13, 14 years ago, is that um, praise has been a part of it. And it's because we really believe that that is very powerful. As we come into the presence of God, we are to praise Him and to lift His name high. And so that's why we do that. And, um, you know, many times you might not get something out of the Word today or our lesson, but you will have a touch from the Holy Spirit because you've praised Him. Now, I'm praying today you are going to get a little touch from both. And so I'm really excited about this lesson. Um, I think this is the first time that we, in the past few years, have done an actual study on a book of the Bible. And really, that's probably one of my favorite things. You know, a lot of times we'll do a... um, just a topic study, which is great, but we're really going to be diving into the actual Word of God in a book of the Bible this month. And I want to encourage you, bring your Bibles. Um, If you don't have it today, I think there's some in the front of the pews. And I want you to, the reason why is because a lot of times um, for me, when when I open up the Word of God and when I start reading it, I like to take notes in my Bible. I know some people are like, ooh, don't do that. But it helps me. Because like even now when I began to study Ephesians, I had all these notes written in, and I can't tell you from all the different pastors and teachers I've listened to that I wrote them from, but it brought back a lot of fresh knowledge and understanding that I've gained. So bring your Bibles. Um, if you've got your folders in your folders, there is a sheet for you to take notes, and each week we'll have you a little sheet to take notes with so that you can go back in months, um, months to come and, and read over what the Lord has taught you. So um, go ahead and get those out. But let me start today. We have to start with a little bit of history before we can get into the Word of God. And, um, and I encourage you to do that whenever you read your Bible. Go and look at the context of the Word that it's being spoken in. And so we know that um, Ephesians was written to Christian believers in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a seaport city on the Aegean Sea. Um, that city was really known for worshiping the goddess Diana. And so there was pagan rituals. Um, goddess Diana was the goddess of fertility. And so that meant there was a lot of illicit sexual behaviors and things that went into their worship. So this was a pretty corrupt place, okay? And Paul went through um, Ephesus several times. I think it was three journeys, missionary journeys. And he established a church here. And it's estimated that over 100,000 Christians were in this city and were believers in Jesus Christ. So he had a great effect on this seaport city that was a bustling city. Paul started the church. Timothy, y'all know Timothy, came and was the first bishop there for this church. And so Paul came and he um, evangelized this city. A church was born. And um, obviously God led Paul to many other cities to start churches. And so we find this letter um, is when Paul was imprisoned in Rome. And this Ephesians is known as one of the letters of the prison, a prison letter. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon were all prison letters. And so think about that when we are reading the scripture. Paul, who was imprisoned, 
All right, y'all know Paul. He was flogged, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned, left to die, severely persecuted. And he finds himself now imprisoned in Rome. And so Paul has a lot of time on his hands, right? And Paul starts writing letters to these churches, these people that he loved, that he was able to bring the gospel, the good news of salvation to, that received it. Um, In Acts... If you go back in Acts, you can find a lot of stories about Paul in Ephesus. I mean, he was really rocking and rolling in that city. It says that there were magicians and sorcerers who repented and turned from their ways and burned all the materials they used in witchcraft. It says there were were evil spirits that spoke of knowing Paul in Ephesus. It said that um, Paul's message caused a riot to break out. Because they didn't like that the worship of the goddess of Diana was being stopped. And then God produced many miracles through Paul as he was in this city. And so I want you to have that context as we dive into the word and what he is telling these people. And also, you got to think, Paul didn't know if he'd ever see them again. He thought, this might be my one last chance to speak to this church about truths that they need to know. And so this is important. And just like it was important for the believers in Ephesus at that time, it is important for you and it's important for me. So are y'all ready? All right, well, let's just pray. Father God, right now we just come to you. I humble myself before you and I ask you, Lord God, to use me, that you would speak through me, Father, your truths, that you want these ladies, these daughters to hear. Father, I pray that you would take all veils that have caused us to not believe away right now in the name of Jesus. And we ask that your truth would come forth and penetrate our hearts, Lord God, so that we can be more and more like you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump right in in Ephesians 1. And we're going to start with verses 3. With verse 3. And let me go ahead and tell you... um, Over these next few weeks, we're going to hit as much of Ephesians as we can. I don't think we're going to get to every scripture. So I encourage you in between now and next week, read it. It doesn't take long. Read chapters 1 and 2 and go ahead and go into 3 and 4 because that's where we'll be going next week. So today we're going to start with 1 and 2. Chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians is a six-chapter book deals with our radical new identity in Christ. The first three chapters, it's all about who we are in Christ. The last three chapters are more practical in nature. That's where you're going to have um, Paul speaking to the wives about submitting to husbands. It's going to be talking about where children obeying your parents, slaves with owners. It's going to be really telling you how to take this identity that you now have in Christ and put it into practice in everyday life. So the first three is identity. The last three are more practical. Well, we see in verse 3 here that Paul gets right to the point. And so read with me Ephesians 1, 3 through 8. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love, 
He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now that is packed full of truth. We have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. I just have to admit to you, I got stuck right here for several weeks. I mean, think about this, ladies. For he, we have been, this is a past tense verb. The Greek word is past tense. It has been purchased, it has been paid for, and we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Notice the every there. It doesn't say a one, a two, maybe a three. It says we have been blessed with spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. Done deal. End of story. But they're kept where? In the heavenly realms. Now, you know, you can read this and be like, well, okay, the heavenly realms, well, that's for when I get up to heaven and I've got my ticket to salvation and here I am and I'm going to be loaded down with all these blessings. I don't think so. I don't think so. It's for the here and the now that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And so let's tackle real fast this heavenly realm idea because you're going to see heavenly realms four more times in this book of Ephesians. You're going to see it in Ephesians 1.20 when it talks about where Christ reigns. You're going to see it in 2.6 when it says that Christians sit with him in the heavenlies. You're going to see it in 3.10. It says where God's wisdom is made known to the church, to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, which is talking about a demonic realm. And then you're going to see it in Ephesians 6.12 where Christians will war against this demonic realm in the heavenlies. So what are the heavenlies? You know, it's real easy to say, well, that's heaven. There's God up there and there's the angels and there's the spirits of men that have gone before, that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But there's also another heaven, and that's called the second heaven. That heaven where God lives is called the third heaven. And Paul addresses that in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4, when he says, I knew a man 14 years ago that got transported up into the third heaven and was shown inexpressible, glorious things that I cannot tell, that he could not tell. So obviously, if Paul's talking about this man who 14 years prior had been transported up to this third heaven, there had to be a second heaven, right? Well, this second heaven is like the outer space. It's where the stars and the sun and the moon are. You know, it even talks in Psalms that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. But there's also this invisible realm where there are principalities and powers and demonic forces. But there are also angels, warring archangels, that fight on behalf of believers. And we know this by example of Daniel, right? You remember when he prayed to God and he fasted for 21 days and the archangel came to David and what Daniel and what did he say? Daniel, I was sent right when you prayed, but there was a war in the heavens and I was battling against the prince of Persia, so it took me 21 days to get to you. Or what about Elisha when he was going out to battle and his servant got really scared and Elisha prayed to God and said, God, open my servant's eyes so that he may see. And God opened his eyes and he saw the hills filled with the chariots and the horses. 
to fight. So this heavenly realm idea is something that we have to know as believers. You know, sometimes we think, well, that's just spooky and weird. And it is, right? But it's a reality and a truth. But where are these spiritual blessings kept? They're kept in the throne room of God, already purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so for the next 30, 40 minutes, however long we have, we're going to be looking at what are these spiritual blessings? Don't you all want to know what they are? I mean, it'd be kind of like if you know that you have these blessings and you never really take them, you know, put them into effect in your life. It's kind of like if I walked up to Jennifer here and said, Jennifer, listen, I'm giving you this key to the safety deposit box over at River City Bank, and it's got all these jewels in it. And it'd be like Jennifer just walking around for years and never even going and opening up the box with all the jewels. You see, God wants us to open up These spiritual blessings know what they are, how to appropriate them in our life so that we can walk as new radical identity and believers in Jesus Christ. So what are these blessings that he's given us? It says, number one, that he adopted us. He adopted us. That means during this time, Paul was in the Roman culture. And, and slavery was just rampant. And so many times a, a slave owner would want to adopt a slave. And so what they would do is when he adopted him into the family, all of the past was severed. And that, that slave would come into the family and would be adopted and would be given full legal rights as a child. Not as a slave, not as one in bondage, but full legal rights. That means an inheritance. That means privileges. That means love and acceptance. And so the first blessing I believe that Paul is speaking about is our adoption in Christ. You know, it says in Romans that we have the spirit of sonship where we can cry out to the Father, Abba, Daddy. You know, Jesus introduced this whole idea of God as a Father. How did he approach God, Father? So we need to know that we are adopted. He is our daddy. No matter what kind of earthly daddy you had, no matter if you felt loved or accepted or maybe even abandoned and rejected, you have to know you've got a new heavenly daddy now. And he's the daddy that owns a cattle on a thousand hills that holds all power, that is all knowing. And he is yours. So that's the first blessing we have. And you know what? It's all in grace, right? He adopted us as daughters in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. I want you to catch that because we're going to see that several more times in this chapter as well. It is to the praise of his glorious grace. What is grace? Every time you hear grace, I want you to think undeserved favor. I don't deserve it but I receive it. So we're adopted in this family to the praise of his glorious grace. And what does that mean? It means when they saw Anne as a wretched old sinner following the ways of this world, that when I came into the family of God, that I started looking and acting just like Jesus did, as best to the ability of the Holy Spirit in me, and people would say, wow, I praise the grace of God on her life. It is a testimony to how he has changed me and transformed me. To the praise of his glorious grace, you have been adopted. 
as a daughter of the Most High King. A statement I read when I was studying this verse, it said, He adopted us unworthy to make His grace look great. Isn't that beautiful? Just to show off who He is, to show off His power and His love. He adopted us unworthy. Were you unworthy when you came to Jesus? Absolutely. Me too. But he adopted us into this family of God where we are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ to make his grace, his undeserved favor look so great. The second blessing we receive is redemption. I love this. Redemption, a releasing affected by payment of ransom. He released you from the bondages of sin, from the wrath of God, from the prince of darkness. He released you through a ransom of his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. For the forgiveness of your sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. I want you to capture that. You know, sometimes I think we struggle with this. I mean, I know we do because I do. And I know I used to really bad. I really struggled with believing that I was completely, totally forgiven. Especially when I knew better and I chose to go the other way anyway. Amen? We are forgiven in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Do you think God's grace ever just stops flowing? Do you think that there's a limit that says, Lana, you only had this much grace. Once you take out of that little deposit, there's no more. I mean, do we really believe that? We don't, but we act like it sometimes. Sometimes we sit there and go, we just wallow in our sin and our shame. And we're like, God, you just, how can you forgive me again? How could you forgive me again? I messed up again. But God says, I have forgiven you in accordance with my grace, the riches of my grace. You know, the enemy is called the accuser of the brethren because he loves to come and accuse you. That is one of his number one tactics if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, to come and accuse you of your sin. Because he knows if he can keep you in shame, he's cloaked you with pain, and you will not walk out of this, walk out this radical new identity in Christ. So I encourage you right now, if that is something you are dealing with, you make an appointment with Jesus Christ to get that off of you. And let me tell you, he can do it because he did it for me. And I had shame built up for about 15 years of my life. And I was still a Christian and I was still getting to heaven, but I was in bondage to shame. That was his tactic on my life. But we have been forgiven according with, to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. How many love, like it when people lavish you with gifts? I mean, we're women, Right? We love it. That's right, Patricia. We love it. We love it when they lavish us with with gifts and flowers and chocolates. That's right. But he's lavishing this on us with his love. All right, so let's jump to verse 11 here. It says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. All right, so what are some more blessings that we've received? What are these spiritual blessings that have been paid for, that are kept in this heavenly realm, that we are to have? We've been chosen. 
We've been chosen. You know, God knew that when he created Adam and Eve, he knew what they were going to do. He knew that they were going to fall, that they were going to sin, that death was going to be entering. He knew that he was going to have to set up this whole law system so that the people of God could be forgiven each year through the, the sacrificing of the lamb. And he knew that ultimately that Jesus Christ would come and he would be the ultimate lamb of God who was slain for everyone's salvation. And sometimes we can take that thought, and I have, and I'm like, well, how is I really chosen then, you know? But the Word tells us all throughout Ephesians, He chose us. You know, can you remember back when you were little and you were out on the playground during recess and a, let's say, soccer game starts or football game? And, you know, like the two best players would be put up for the team leaders, and then they would start the choosing process. I mean, sometimes I hate to hear what what position my son got in for the choosing for the games at recess sometimes. But don't you know, I mean, and maybe I was never one that got chosen right off because I was really slow, you know. But you know what? God, in his mercy, his love, his blood, he lines everyone up, and he knew who was going to choose him. He knew because he's all-knowing. From the foundation of the world, he knew. And he says, I want that one, I want that one, I want that one. He knew who was going to humble themselves before him and choose him. So he chose you first. He chose you first. So that's another great blessing that we receive from Jesus Christ. We are chosen, we're wanted, we're desired. The next part, verse 13 And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You know what the next blessing we receive is we are sealed. We're sealed. How many in here have ever canned like vegetables? Wow, we got a young person that's canned. I wasn't expecting that. Well, I've never canned. But Bradley's grandmother, his mama in Tallahassee, used to have these huge gardens. And, I mean, they, she would can these green beans. And so every time we'd go, she'd say, oh, y'all go in there and get my green beans. And we'd get these big things, and there was nothing that tasted better. And you know how you seal it? You know, you put the little thing on, and then you seal it, and it goes, bing! It pops it, and then you know that it's been sealed. You see, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the good news of Jesus Christ presented to you, the Holy Spirit was working. He was hovering over you just like he hovered in the darkness when the world was created. And he was drawing your heart to be able to respond. And so when you heard that truth and you believed it, and you repented of your ways and you confessed him as Lord, the Holy Spirit came and went, Your spirit's just been sealed. Because we are a three-part being. We're spirit, we're soul, and our body. Our spirits are the eternal part of who we are. God is spirit. When God breathed his life into us at the very beginning of time, he breathed it into our spirit to cause us to come alive. 
And so when we come to the saving knowledge and the truth of Jesus Christ, we are sealed with that spirit. We are preserved. Our spirits are preserved to protect us, to keep us pure and holy. So when we come to the throne room of God, we're not coming in our just unrighteous body and our unrighteous thoughts and unrighteous will and unrighteous emotions. We are coming to Him in a purified, holy spirit that's been sealed with the third person of the Trinity. He's been sealed. Now, how would you say that's a blessing? You don't get unsealed. I don't believe you do if you've truly come to salvation in Jesus Christ. And so that seal is forever until the day the Lord calls you home. And you can stand before him clean and holy and blameless. Just like he says at the beginning, I chose you to be holy and blameless because that spirit's been born again. It is new and it has been sealed with his Holy Spirit. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. When he says that, he's talking about this spirit, this new man, this new woman inside of you. That's why Paul is always saying, be led forth by the spirit, your spirit in alignment with the Holy Spirit. Stay in step with the spirit. Pray in the spirit. He wants our spirits to be right in tune with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so that we can live out this life as new creations in Christ. The third blessing we receive is an inheritance. It says that we have an inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. We have an inheritance. Remember, we've been adopted into the family of God. When you're adopted into a family, that means you get part of the inheritance. Is that a good inheritance? Would you say an inheritance from God would be good? Yeah, better than any of our earthly parents could give us. And you know what 1 Peter 1.4 says? Our inheritance is one that will never rust, it will never perish, and it's kept in heaven for you. So we have this inheritance And notice, remember I said earlier, we're going to see this to the praise of His glory three times. We've got this inheritance, we've been adopted, we've been redeemed, we've been chosen, all to the praise of His glory. I heard a pastor say on this um, DVD, this worship CD, that grace is like the seed and glory is like the flower. Think about that. You see, he's depositing grace in our life all the time because that's what he's rich with. He's rich in mercy and he's rich in grace. And so he's depositing the seeds of grace all in our life. And then as we grow in him, as we become more and more like him, it becomes like a flower. And that is the glory of God's grace. So all of these benefits, all of these blessings, yes, they are good They benefit us. They are advantages for us, but they're still for Him. You know, we're created by Him, and we're created for Him, for His glory. So now let's look in verses 15 through 23. And at this part, Paul starts telling them that he is thankful for them. These are believers. This was a church that was birthed through one of his missionary journeys. And not only does he start telling them how thankful he is for them, but he also starts telling them how he's praying for them, what he's praying for them. 
You know, how many of you have ever gotten a text from a friend um, or family member when you're going through a hard time, and they're like, I'm praying for you, and you're like, yeah, that's good, you know? And I, I do that all the time. But what about when you get the text that says, this is what I'm praying for you about? You know, I got a few of those last night as, they, as people knew that um, I was busy at soccer games and trying to prepare the lesson. And I thought, yeah, I needed to know that they're praying that I'm going to be filled up with the love of God. I needed to know they're praying that I'll be anointed from on high. And so that's what Paul is doing here for this church. He's telling them, these are the things I'm praying for you about. And don't you know that this has to be important? Paul is telling them, taking the time to write it out, these are the things I'm praying for you about, believers in Christ, who I might not ever talk to again. And so this is what he said, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. All right, so what's he praying for them? The first thing that he says I'm praying for you about is that you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. He knew that in this culture that these believers lived in, you remember where the goddess of Diana is being worshipped and there's illicit sex and all sorts of pagan rituals. He knew that these believers need to be strengthened up if they were going to run the race with perseverance and finish all that God had called them to. And so what is the first thing he says I'm praying for you about is that you may know God better. You know, sometimes as believers, we just stop. We just stop it. Yeah, I know who God is. And whatever this notion that we've created in our mind, we just leave it there. But God is calling us on a journey each and every day to know him better and better and better. And he promises us. He says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things you did not know. He says, seek me and you will find me. And so Paul's praying for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation to take over their minds, to renew their minds so that they may know God, the one true God, better and better. And you know what I believe you find when you get to know the one true God better and better? I think you find love and more love and more love and more forgiveness and more mercy and more grace and more power and more truth. You see, that's why it says that we can, as we behold the word of God, that we are transformed from glory to glory to glory to glory is because we keep getting renewed in our mind and getting to know God better through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The second thing you set praise for is that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You know, our heart, the wellspring of life, Everything flows through our heart. So he is telling them, I'm praying for your heart to be enlightened, for your eyes to be enlightened. And he's praying that for three things, so that number one, they would know the hope to which he has called you. Hope. 
means a confident expectation of good. The second thing he says is, I want you to know your glorious inheritance. Yeah, we need to know our inheritance. When the going gets tough, we need to be able to look to heaven and say, you've got things up there for me, Lord God. In the midst of my suffering right now, in the midst of my persecution, God, I know that I will endure and there will be a great reward. Right? Do y'all need to know that sometimes? So we have, he's praying, open their eyes to know this inheritance that is for the saints. You are a saint, no whether you feel like it or not. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are a saint of the Most High. And this inheritance is for you. And the third thing he says is that we may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. You know, how many people in here believe that God is powerful? Please raise your hand. Okay. Yeah. God's powerful, right? I mean, you know, he freed the Israelites. He, you know, parted the Red Sea. I mean, he's done some amazing things. But you know what? Sometimes we have a hard time personalizing that power in our own life, in our own situation. But I want you to catch here what he's saying. His incomparably great power for us who believe. Yeah, God is all-powerful, but God wants to be all-powerful for you too. He wants you to experience and know His power, no matter what situation you're in right now. Maybe it's marriage troubles. I mean, I'll just pick the top five things I can think of. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's pornography. I mean, you know, these are the five things that the world says that Americans are dealing with. He wants you to know his incomparable great power for you. For you. You know, sometimes we just have to build up our faith in that. And I had to do that recently. And um, sometimes I'll get with some ladies and we'll just worship the Lord. And then we'll just sit and say, okay, God, just speak to us. It's called soaking prayer where you get in his presence and then you just allow him to speak to you. I mean, and it's not in an audible voice. It's just in your imagination. It's in your heart. And he starts speaking truth. And so recently, I was just doubting him in a lot of situations. I'd lost the hope, you know, the confident expectation of good. And so I was just crying out to him. And this is what I felt him say to me. And the miracle of the cross, the sins of the world paid for. If you can believe that, then all else is yours. Believe me, I'm not like one who is like a man and can lie. No, I'm truth eternal. Truth applied to your life that sets you free. Truth believed and proclaimed that can move mountains and cast them into the sea. Your responsibility has been and always will be just believe. All things and believe. Believe that I paid for your sins. Believe that my word is eternal. It is always settled. Believe that I overcame, so now that you overcome. Believe that truly this battle is mine and it is not yours. Believe that I am for you and I'm not against you. Believe that my peace will still calm the stormy seas. Believe that my stripes truly do heal. You see, sometimes we know God is all-powerful and mighty and he can do all these things, but sometimes we struggle if God's going to really pull that out for us. 
And so Paul knows this. He knows that the eyes of their heart need to be enlightened for the power that is towards us for who are believers in Jesus Christ. And then it goes on and says, That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So that's the power he's talking about here. The power that when Jesus was dead in in that tomb, when he had been beaten and flogged and rejected and persecuted and even abandoned, that that power that raised him up from that tomb, put him walking and talking and still ministering to people, is the same power that God wants to give you in whatever lifeless situation you have. And he says, And he seated him, seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also into the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So what he also is saying in this prayer is that they would know this power and they would know the authority and the position of Jesus Christ. And so what is that position? He tells them he's put them at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The right hand represents authority and power. You'll see many times through scriptures when it talks about the right hand. Well, that is now at this very moment where Christ is seated. And you say, well, why is he seated? Because his work is done. It is finished. He cried that out on the cross. It is finished. These spiritual blessings have been paid for. Your redemption has been paid for. You've already been chosen. You've already been given an inheritance. And you need to know that. And now Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. And so he has all authority. It says over everything, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. You know that song we sang this morning? Let all other names fall and let what name be lifted up? Jesus. Because only his name is the one that matters. And so here we're talking about this power and dominion again in the heavenly realms. We're talking about this hierarchy of demonic forces. And what he's telling us is Christ is above that. And these things are under his feet. And I want you to hang on to that truth because we're going to find something remarkable about that truth in a minute and how it relates to us. And so let's go on to Ephesians 2. In verses 1 through 3. As for you, he's talking to believers here. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So he's talking about our old nature, right? You know, 2 Corinthians 5, you know, the old is gone and the new has come. So he's doing a little comparison here. This is how you used to be, and now this is how you are now. And so he's basically saying at one point or another in your life, you are a follower of the evil one, and he was working in your life. Now, for some of us and for me, that is even hard to imagine because I grew up in a Christian home. I don't ever remember not going to church. I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ at nine years old. I was baptized and confirmed, 
And I believe it was a real salvation. But at some point in my life, now God, I do, I do believe God is rich in mercy to, for children, but we still had to make a choice. And before we made that choice, we were objects of God's wrath. The wrath that was demonstrated on Jesus Christ on our behalf. And notice here he calls it the ruler of the kingdom of the air. I was like, air? So I called up Lana and I'm like, Lana, what do you think about the ruler of the kingdom of the air? I mean, what's that meaning? She said, well, I see it this way. She's like, you know, he's in the airwaves, right? She said, that's why so many times when we're praising God, when we praise God, the devil has to flee, right? That's why she said, whenever you come to my house, you're going to have praise music going on to flee anything that is not of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this prince of the air that's in the airwaves, which he, what, does he lie to you sometimes? Condemn you sometimes? Accuse you sometimes? Whisper in that little ear? So this prince of the air, don't really still understand it totally, but that's what it says, the prince of the air. He's working in those who are disobedient. And that means right there, it's not a believer being disobedient, it is talking in specifically in the scripture about those who do not know Jesus Christ. Although, I do believe the enemy can use us in our life too. It talks about, Paul talks about, do not give a foothold to the devil, right? In our anger, bitterness, you got to pull it out. You got to get rid of it. Our pride, so there's gates and there's ways that it can come in. And, and, you know, right now we're in the middle of Halloween. And did y'all know that Halloween is like the second most celebrated holiday in the United States? Second most celebrated. I was like, couldn't Valentine's Day been the second, I mean, about love? You know, and, and I struggle with this a little bit because my daughter was born on Halloween and I cried. I did. I cried. I called one of the pastors like, why did I have to have her today? Halloween. And she said, because she was getting her ready for All Saints Day on November 1st. <laughs> so that's right. That's right. But, you know, sometimes little the world can get in us, right? The ways of the world. And, you know, about eight years ago, I had a friend of mine. She was my age, and she was just way more spiritually mature than I was. And, um... And I was growing and understanding the word in my life and how to live it out to really honor the Lord in every area. And she came in my house, and I had this witch sitting out on my um, kitchen table. And it had lights, and it was pretty cute. My mom had given it to me, you know. And she looked at me, and she said, why do you have that in your house? I was like, well, because it's cute, and it's Halloween. She said, Ann, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And at first, I'll be honest, I was a little offended. I wanted to be like, okay, who do you think you are? But in the same time, I appreciated that she was so bold in love to say, Ann, do you wear a cross on your neck? Do you have symbols of crosses in your home? Do you have a cross in your church? What is this, that a symbol of? Jesus Christ. She said, why would you have symbols of things that don't honor him? And so that's just a little side note about this prince of the air that sometimes he can just come in and cause us to get a little tainted with this stuff. And that, that's just a truth that he taught me. Now, I'm not saying you can't go trick-or-treating. There's all different thoughts on that. My kids go trick-or-treating to the non-scary houses in our neighborhood, okay? But we're in the midst of this, Halloween, and he's talking about these heavenly realms and the prince of this air. 
You know, that's why Jennifer asked for no scary costumes at the fall festival, right? Because everything we do, we do unto the Lord. How could we not? He's redeemed us. He's chosen us. He's accepted us. He's gone to the cross for us. And so we honor him. We love him. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So he starts off telling you, you know what? You're an object of wrath. You're following the prince of this air. You are dead in your sins and in your transgressions. But, I love the buts, because of his great love and mercy that he's lavished on us, he has made us alive with Christ. Just like that song we sang this morning, I will rise And I will live alive in Christ Jesus. You see, without God, we're hopeless. Are you? Are you hopeless without God? Do you have situations in your life right now that are hopeless unless God's power comes and moves on your behalf? You see, but we're made alive, and we need to remember that as daughters of the king. No matter where we found ourselves, no matter what sin we have gotten entangled with, God has made us alive. And you know what that means? It means that we are now righteous. We are clean. We are holy and blameless. That's what he says at the beginning of the letter. And because of that, we are adopted into that family to receive these blessings that have been paid for. And what else does it say? And this really blows my mind. Number six, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You remember where's Christ seated? The right hand of the Father in authority and power. And now what he's telling the believers is that you too are seated up there, sitting up there right there with Christ in the place of authority, in a place of high position, You remember, and where was that? Above all powers and dominions and every title that can be given. You know, I know that's a radical scripture. It is, but it's truth. It is truth. Why do you think Paul, through all of his hardships, I mean, remember his hardships. He was stoned and left for dead and came back. He was persecuted, flogged, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, How do you think through all of that that he could say in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed? How do you think he saw that, knew that, believed that, taught that? You know why? Because he knew this. He knew his position in the kingdom of God. He knew his position. He knew that because he was redeemed and adopted and, and chosen, that he was, had been seated in the heavenly places. Now, that does not mean that you will not have trouble. Jesus said that. You will have trouble. But take heart for what? 
I have overcome the world. You see, this radical new identity gives us the identity of an overcomer, no matter where you find yourself. He is telling you, I have blessed you in the spiritual realm with all spiritual blessings, and I have even put you seated with Christ up there. And we have got to grow in this knowledge if we want to demonstrate the kingdom of God on this earth as it is in heaven. You know, I started thinking, how many have uh, football playing in your house all the time right now, if you're married or have sons? You know, I used to just dread it. I was like, God, here's football season. But, you know, I've kind of started liking it because, you know, when you really think of it, football is so stupid. I mean, you've got these, especially college, you've got these 18-year-old kids out there all padded up fighting over a ball. And so I've really started enjoying it because I can sit there and watch it all day with my son, and it's just mindless. You know, it's just like, I'm just sitting here. I can be at rest because it's just football. But I started thinking, imagine this. Imagine the Alabama-Auburn game, let's say. And Auburn, let's say, is down because, you know, they're not looking as good. Now, I'm an Auburn fan, so I can say that. Don't get offended. But let's say it's the last play of the game. And the coach tells the team, and he's like, now listen, this play will win the game. No doubt it will win the game because they do not know this play. They cannot defend it. And he tells the quarterback, Nick Marshall, you do this and we will be guaranteed the victory of this game. And then he goes out on the field and Nick Marshall's like, who am I? Am I a quarterback? Am I running back? Am I the wide receiver? Am I blocking? And the play starts and what happens? Mass chaos, disorder. They cannot execute the play to win the game. You know what I think that's an example of? When we do not know our position in Jesus Christ. We cannot execute the play if we do not know the authority and the position and the blessings that God has given us to enforce the victory that has already been won. Now, y'all might need to chew on that. But I'm asking you, keep chewing on it. Keep chewing on it. Because we are called to be overcomers in this world. And then he closes out this, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It is for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, he's created us as his masterpieces, his handiwork. And Paul's telling them, you've got to know this, guys you got to know this so that you can do the good works which God has already planned for you to do. Every person in here, God has planned for you to do certain things for his kingdom. Not one person is left out. You know what I truly believe as I was studying this? This just came to me. Our identity is tied with our destiny. Think about that. Our identity, who we are, And Jesus Christ is tied with our destiny. So what happens when our identity is faulted? It's a struggle to fulfill the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, before today, um, we started. I was in the prayer room with some other ladies. And we were just praying. And what I realized as I was praying and getting real passionate that I truly believe this identity message. It was the first study I ever taught up here for Rhema, um, I guess four years ago, 
I think this is my life message. I really believe like this is the thing that burns in my heart the most for women. And I started thinking, you know, why? Why would that be? And I think it's because for so many years as a Christian, I didn't really know who I was. I mean, there were things that happened that made me feel unwanted, made me feel rejected. Um, I had a beautiful, outgoing sister that I was kind of, you know, few steps behind that I always looked up to. She never made me feel inferior, but my own little insecurity did. And I started realizing that, you know what, until I truly got free from that, that's when the abundant life that Christ said he came to give me started. And so how do we take this message and apply it to our life? You know, the study of this, um, the name of the study is called Replicate. Did y'all catch that? And some of you probably thought, well, what does that mean? How is that tied into Ephesians? Well, the definition of replicate is to, ex- to make an exact image of, to reproduce. You see, Paul's telling these believers at Ephesus, he's like, you are the replicate of Jesus Christ, and you've got to know this, so that the world would know the Father. You remember? It's all for the praise of his glory. And so how do we put this into motion? I'm going to, do it to give it to you quick. Number one, we are to know who we are. We have got to know the truth. Keep going back. Keep going back. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm chosen. I've been adopted. I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. I've got an inheritance. You've got to know this. And sometimes when we've believed a lie, we just got to keep going the truth over and over again to get that lie out of us. You know, I read that when people um, are checking money to see if it's counterfeit or real, you know how they um, are able to do that? They train the people who check this money. They they train them to know exactly what the dollar bill looks like, the weight of it, the feel of it, the threads that run through it, the way the numbers and the serial number are spaced on there. You know why? Because they know that if these people know the real thing, they'll easily identify the counterfeit. I believe it's the same with our identity. We have to know who we are so that then, number two, we can identify the lies we believed. You see, the enemy is really good at keeping a lie you believe in a lie. It's called a stronghold. But Paul tells us these strongholds, these things that build like fortresses over our minds and our imaginations, he says we have been given the divine power to pull them down. And I know for me... I had to let God through prayer and through worship and through the truth of the Word of God, through confessing it, I had to let God come and pull that lie down off of me to know that I'm wanted, that I'm made in His image. You see, that's what He wants for you. He wants that for you. He doesn't want you to believe the lies that you're not wanted. You know, maybe, as I've talked with many women, you know, it seems like, in this last six months, it's just a common theme of struggles with between moms and daughters. You know, I guess because as children we seek affirmation so much. And sometimes our parents weren't able to give that to us because of their own wounds, their own lies that they had believed. And so that's transported to us. 
Or maybe it could be in a marriage, a failed marriage, where you think, well, gosh, I just wasn't wanted. Or maybe your husband's addicted to pornography, and you're gonna, you just feel like, well, I'm just not worth anything. He don't want me. He wants that image on the computer screen. You know, there's so many ways in which the enemy can use to make us feel inferior. But you see, what God wants to do, he wants to let you know the truth, like we've discovered today, the real truth, the kind of truth that will set you free when it's applied to your life. And he wants you to identify those lies. And so we're going to close today. I know we only have a few minutes. And there should be a little note card, index card, in your folder. And we're going to play a little music. And while that's happening, I just want you to write on that index card, lies. Just real big capital, lies. And when you feel led, I want you just to ask. Ask the Lord, Lord, I've heard the truth today, and you say the truth will set me free. So I'm asking you to show me right now any lies that I still believe. They could be 40 years old, or they could be as fresh as from yesterday. And I want you to write down that lie. And then in a moment when they start playing, I want you to come to the altar, or if you don't feel led to do that, if that intimidates you, doesn't matter, then I want you to pray. And we're going to have some people up here to pray. And if you want prayer, I just want you to hold your hands up, and they'll know to pray with you. And I encourage you, don't be intimidated by that. You know, the Bible tells us clearly that there is power in agreement, in two people coming into agreement. And I can remember years ago at this same Bible study, this was suggested, and I went up, and they told us, they said, you stay out whatever you're dealing with. And I did, and it was a really embarrassing thing. And I was like, I can't believe I just said that out. And I actually, I was quite embarrassed for about a week, but then I realized, you know what? There was freedom in that. And so I encourage you to just go to the Lord and say, God, just where have I believed a lie? Where? What's not true? And then I want you to pray, and I want you to say, God, forgive me for believing that lie. You know, there's power in asking for forgiveness. And then I want you to say to him, I renounce that lie out of my life. And when we renounce something, that's just saying no more. It's not going to be received anymore, that lie. And then I want you to pray, just like Paul prayed, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better. And I've also printed that little prayer for you. And I'm not going to ask you over this next week to pray this every day for yourself. The prayer of illumination that Paul prayed for these believers in Ephesians 1. You pray that, and God will answer that. That's his word. And so I'm just going to open us in prayer. And if you have to leave, I'm going to ask you to do so quietly, just to allow people to be ministered to by the Lord. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you are here in our midst. We thank you that we are your daughters and that you love us. You've lavished your love on us and you have given us so many blessings, God. What a privilege to say that we are daughters of the Most High King, that we've been bought with a price, we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the ransom for our sins has been paid for. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we may know the hope to which you've called us and we may know this great power that is for us who believe. 
We invite you in Holy Spirit to do the only work that you can do and minister to each of our hearts. We love you, God. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.